I shared this word in my church the other day, and, I, and as I was praying and considering, you know, asking the Lord, what would he want me to share, and thinking of the whole theme and the whole idea, the Lord said, just basically said, what did you learn in the Hayward Church? What did you learn there? And if one thing happened to my life is Pastor Steve, he took me from being a pessimistic person to an optimistic person. I was very negative, very pessimistic, very woe was me, schlep rock, wowsy, wowsy, kind of woo-woo person. Hello, somebody. Uh, the cloud always over my head, like, you know, in the, in the Peanuts gang, the one with the cloud always around. And that's kind of how I was. And I, had, I needed a lot of work. And the Lord sent me to a very merciful pastor who was patient with me, who, uh, you know, dealt with me. And I'll tell you what, Pastor Steve, through God, helped me change my perception about things. And, and if you're going to learn something, and you're going to be in this church, because that lineage still flows through his son, it's in the DNA of this church, then if this church is going to do some great things, we've got to start changing how we see things. And, and that's key, because if those of us have been around, Pastor Steve used to always say what? Christianity is about what? Perspective. It's how you see it. It's either going to be in a negative uh, a perspective or a positive perspective. So I want to just go through scripture, and I want to just point out some things that are very practical, because I think today, for some, is going to be a change or a beginning change for your perception in Christ. Are you with me this morning? Isaiah 43, verse 18 through 19, it says, Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old, for I am about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in dry waste land. Father, we thank you this morning or this day for your great word. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for all you've done at this point. God, I ask that you would just speak through me, that you would use me as your oracle, your mouthpiece to preach the profound word of God, to bring truth that our lives will be changed. God, as we get in the word, let the word get into us. Because that's where change takes place, God. Make us people of the word. Yes, we want to be people of prayer, of worship. We want to be people of the word because there's victory in your word. So God, open our minds, open our hearts, give us illumination, revelation, God, that we would get the just truth of the word of God. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody says amen and amen. If you want to put a title on this message, I want to talk to you about the second touch. The second touch of God. Here in this text, Isaiah is proclaiming that to a people who are in a tough situation. Anybody ever been in a tough situation? Maybe some of you are in a tough situation today. And, you, and like pastors say, you didn't call in the church, you crawled in the church. Amen? And you're just in a tough situation. Well, these people, they are also in a tough situation. And let me just say this. You know, I love movies and I love inspirational movies. I love movies that depict someone's life. Uh, portrays their someone's life as like an autobiography is a book or an autobiography can become a movie. But you have, I think when we read that or when you look at that, sometimes we look at it from the wrong perspective. And you say, what do you mean, Pastor Eddie? Well, history is recorded in lifetimes, but it's experienced in moments. Let me say that again. History is recorded in lifetimes, but it's really experienced in moments. What do you mean? We don't have moments every day that are life-changing. We don't have moments every day that will cause a shift, 
or can radically affect our life, most of the time it's just routine. Can I get an amen? You get up, you go to work, you take your kids to school, you go through the same problems, you and your spouse had an argument in the morning or whatever, and you have your same old routine. But then there are times where those moments take place that are going to define who we are, make us who we are, or change us in a good way or in a negative way. Can I get an amen? So when you watch a movie, let's say a movie about, you know, there's one kid about James Brown. What we're going to watch is we're not going to watch his whole life. We're going to watch moments that defied his life, defined his life, moments that changed his life or moments that made his life go backwards, if you will. Everyone's life is based upon moments. Yes, we have the grind, the routines of life, but it's those defining moments and the choices we make that determines where we end up in life. And it's in those moments where it's hardest to have the right perspective about life. Someone, I'm not big on quotes. Like That's why I even got off Twitter, because to to me, Twitter became a place of just quotes. And one line, I was like, oh, God, I get tired of reading all these quotes. And like, I read for myself. I don't need someone to preach to me all day about this and do that. But the other day, there was one that I really liked. And it said, the hardest time not to quit is when everybody will tell you you have every reason to quit. The hardest time not to quit is when everybody will tell you you have every reason to quit. I thought that was so profound. See, it's, it's hard to quit when everyone's saying, you know, no, you, you know, you still got life in you or you're still, God's going to work it out. But when people are going, yeah, it is really that bad. Yeah, I don't know what I would do if I was in your situation. Yeah, I might leave that fool too. I don't know, sister. You know what I mean? It's when you start getting those accolades and those agreements and those confirmations, it's very hard not to quit when you've got every reason to quit. And how you handle those moments will define who you are in life. See, every God encounter has a purpose. Every God encounter has a purpose. And the the problem is that if you and I have an encounter today, but we go home the exact same way that we came in, something didn't happen right in church. Let me give to you what I feel is the greatest church picture in all the scripture. I think this scripture in Ezekiel is the greatest church picture for back then and for today. Go to Ezekiel 46, verse 9. Ezekiel 46, verse 9. You put it up there? Watch this. It says, When the people of the land come before the Lord on appointed feasts, whoever enters by the way of the north gate to worship shall go out by the way of the south gate. And whoever enters by the way of the south gate shall go out by the way of the north gate. He shall not return by the way of the gate through which he came, but he shall go out through the opposite gate. What is... What is Moses here, or Ezekiel, excuse me, saying to the church? He's saying, listen, when you come into the house of God, it doesn't matter which way you came in, but you cannot leave the same way you came in. And if you left the same way you came in, something didn't happen in the service. If you leave the exact same way you came in, you missed something. You didn't catch something. You didn't respond to something. Remember what I said? People come in the house of God, but but a psalm says, enter his courts with praise with what? Thanksgiving. You've got to bring Thanksgiving with you like luggage. We come to church 
looking for thanksgiving. Looking to try to find something to be thankful about. That's not what Psalm says. Psalm says, you got to bring it with you. you got to carry it with you. I'm going to the house of God because i got to praise him. I'm still alive. I'm still alive. church I don't praise God because I feel him I feel him because I praise him it's a big paradigm shift that's what Pastor Steve taught me see you there's folks here you don't praise him unless you feel him and guess what he ain't always gonna feel him he ain't always gonna be like right there with him to be no I feel him because I praise him first I praise him when I don't feel like it I praise him when all hell's breaking loose. And that is the greatest picture of how church should be to me and throughout the Bible. You should go out a different way than you came in. And if you don't go out a different way, what happened? Well, pastor was off today. So what? He ain't your God. Well, you know, the worship team and AJ just didn't have it today. You know what I'm saying? He just was you know, off key and he didn't, you know, I don't like, like that song. God's not dead and all that. There's songs I don't like either. I mean, Pastor, when he went to the Philippines, he came back with this song that drove me nuts. <laughs> Every single cell in my body is happy. I can't see it. <laughs> he had the whole church doing it, remember? Every single cell in my body. <laughs> Stupid song. All children church, every single cell in my body is happy. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Perspective. Really, every single myself was not happy. And my body wasn't happy. I was, you know, in the flesh or whatever. So watch this. Isaiah 43, verse 18 says, God's doing a new thing. Now, this is what I love. Because, see, most of us, when we pray and we want God to do a new thing, we expect God to change the situation or change this or that, but he doesn't tell them he's going to change the situation. He says, I'm going to start it right where you're at. You're in the desert, I'm going to start it in the desert. You're dry, you're empty, I'm going to start it right there. You're in the wilderness, confused, obscure, you don't know where you're going, I'm going to start it right there. Right where you're at. So this scripture tells me, because Isaiah says, don't you see it? Don't you see what I'm doing? Don't you see what I'm doing in your life? And most of us don't realize it because, see, all of us here pray all the time, God, do something new in my life. God, do something new. Until he does it. Because I've learned in 24 years that most of the time when you say that prayer and God does something new, he don't do it the way you think he's going to do it. He don't do it the way you thought he was going to do it. He don't do it the way you want him to do it, my friend. He does it his way. And sometimes it seems to start off bad, more bad than good. And even like them, they're there. In verse 19, God says, Behold, I'm doing a new thing. It shall spring forth. You shall know it. 
The people are in a dark place, a dry place. God doesn't want to remove them. He wants to start refreshing them where they're at right there. Haven't you ever noticed something about even the season we live in? Or even according to our days and times? When you read Genesis, watch this. There was darkness before there was light. As a matter of fact, watch. Read it for yourself. The order of a day, Moses records in Genesis, and there was an evening and morning on the first day. Why? Watch this. Because with God, every new day starts off in darkness. Every new day starts off in darkness. You say, no, it doesn't. It starts when my alarm goes off and the sun's shining. No, that's when you were awakened to the new day. But the new day started at 12.01 midnight a few hours ago while you were still asleep in your third dream, dreaming about this or that. The new day had already begun, my friend. And it's the same thing with God. The problem is why we don't see it is because we're still asleep. We're still sleeping. There's something new happening in this church. There's something new. I see it. I feel it. I, yeah, I feel something new, but I still feel the same old DNA. I still feel the same old spirit. I still feel the same old cutting edge. Yeah, there's something new. And I think it's time for some of you to wake up already. Because the alarm clock is going off in the heart of the bay. God's doing it. Don't you see it? Or you want to be like my kids that are on break. And sleep till 12. For Elena, that's when she thinks the day starts, 12 o'clock, Dad. I'm on break. I'm sleeping in. No. The day started a long time ago. The day don't start when you finally get it. That's when you just realized something new is happening. And it's funny because when you look at our calendar and you look at the whole time changes, more often in a day is there darkness than light. There are more hours, unless you live in Alaska, don't get critical with me, amen. But for here, there are often more hours of darkness than there is light. And see, we've, we've gotten accustomed to that through physical senses to say, well, the new day starts when the sun comes up. No, it does not. It starts in the darkness. And I'm saying maybe you're in the darkness this morning and you can't figure out what's going on and you can't see what's happening and it seems just bad. It just seems horrible. It seems like it's not going to work out. But my friend, God is starting something new in your life. You have to see it. You've got to believe it. You've got to hang on to God because it's usually when that shift happens that God is going to catapult you to something new. I've been there. This has been a tough season for our church. Josie knows, tough, tough, just for my life, you know, just, just a few months ago, I, you know, they, doctor told me, you could die. Now, don't look at me like that. I know I'm overweight, but I'm not doing my weight, so get over it. Amen. But my bladder um, had a block in my, my urethra, my bladder. They don't know where it came from. They think some kind of scar tissue from years ago, and I was retaining you know, urine. I couldn't pee properly. 
And it just kept, and I was getting bloated and bigger and sick. And, and I went to the doctor thinking, you know, okay, maybe hopefully it's something routine. And then she says, oh, no, you got to see a specialist. And you got to go to Oakland. And I go see her thinking like, okay, what's going on? She says, no, we need to do surgery next week. If not, you could die. If your bladder ruptures, it's over. You're dead. I'm like, what? Are you serious? For reals? <laughs> Are you playing with me? It's like, no, this is serious, Mr. Carvel. So it started with that. And it started with just, just a series of things. See, I'm the kind of person where, you know, if something major happens in my life, I'm cool. Maybe you're like me. When it's not a major thing, but it's a series of one thing after another, after another, after another, after another, that gets you down. You know whose company you're in? You know what type you are? Job. Because it wasn't the one big thing that got Job down. Job still praised him. It was when it was this thing after this thing after this thing that finally got Job to a place of discouragement. And there's some folks this morning, you're dealing with some stuff, and you're not dealing with maybe something major, maybe you are. But there's some folks, you've been doing a series of things. It's a series of things happening in your life. You're like, what's going on, God? See, I, 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 it took me years to start learning how God worked and still learning. I'm never going to be there. All of us will never will be. But I've learned this one thing, and I preach it. I preach it at Mighty Man. I preached it in Mexico with the leadership. Is that God will never change your condition until he first changes your position. He'll never change your condition. I've begged him, God, change this. And he's not so much concerned with our condition all the time. He's more concerned with the, the position of uh, our position in Christ how we view ourselves, how we look at ourselves. And for us, many of us, we don't look at ourselves in a very good way. And so what has to change is our perspective. Now go to Mark chapter 8, verse 22. And I want to I zero in on this for a moment. In Mark 8, verse 22, it says that he came to Bethsaida, and so he brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. He looked up and said, I see men walking like, like trees. I see men like trees walking. Then he put his hand on his eyes again and made him look up. And he was restored and saw everyone clearly. The one miracle Jesus did more than any other miracle was healing the blind. More than raising the dead, more than deaf ears, more than even making the lame walk, he healed more blind people than any other miracle. Those who were born blind or through circumstances became blind. Because here's the reality. Yes, there's physical uh, 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 implications here. There, definitely, of course, God heals. I believe that. God does heal. Matter of fact, there's a lady in our church, uh, two ladies, matter of fact, but one, four years was bat battling terminal cancer. They told her to make Make your peace with God. Make your plans. You're going to die. And they removed one of her breasts. Four years of chemotherapy. Just the other day, she called me and said, they told me I'm completely healed. There's no more, there's no more cancer in my body. I am healed completely. I believe in healing. 
But I think some, there's also got to be some spiritual implications to why Jesus heals the blind more than, more than anything else. Because most of us, our problem is not so much why you struggle in faith. You struggle in faith because of your perception. You struggle in faith because it's not so much what you see, it's how you see it. If you, if you don't get anything today, write this down. I was, me and Josie were talking the other day, and I said, here's the problem. The problem is this. We don't see things as they are. We see things as we are. We don't see things as they really are. We see things as we are. So if our heart's bad, you're going to see it bad. If your heart is not right, you're going to look at it that way. If your inside is messed up, you're going you're to view it that way. Depending how our heart is, our perception is. And vision, my friend, on how you see different seasons of the church or what God's doing depends on the condition of your heart. So if we don't see things as they really are, we see things how we are, then here's another truth. You don't see with your eyes, you see with your brain. Let me prove it to you. If I told you forever, or you were taught since you were little, that Sister Bossy's pink dress was blue, and your parents conditioned you to that your whole life, it didn't matter how much I told you it was pink, your mind tell, would tell you it's blue. Your mind would tell you it's blue. Your mind was conditioned for that. It's the same thing, and I'm going to prove it to you scientifically. Doctors use this test to determine somebody's mental state. They show them what? Pictures. And they show them a series of pictures that can be interpreted a different way. One person might see it like this. Another person might see it like this. And based on a pattern of how they see these pictures, they determine someone's mental aptitude. So why is it different with God? Why is it any different with the Lord? Why is it any different? You don't see with your eyes. You see through your eyes. And whatever is going on in your mind, whatever is going on in the software of your mind, not necessarily the brain, the brain is the hardware, the software of your mind will determine how you view what you're going through or how you view life or those moments in life, those huge moments in life is all on your perspective. So Jesus here has this man and he touches him and he heals him. And what happens? The man says, I see people walking like trees. Now, I've heard this preach for years, and I don't agree with it at all because I've studied it. I've gotten the Hebrew, and I'm going to show you. I've heard people preach, well, this was a progressive healing, physical healing. Now, I don't believe Jesus had off days. I just don't believe that. I don't believe this day he was tired, didn't get too much sleep, maybe didn't pray that much, and so he didn't have enough power to heal him one time. I don't believe that. What, what do I think? There was two types of healing that this guy needed. The first touch was for his physical blindness. The second touch was for his mental blindness. Because the man said, I see men like trees. He saw a picture of men like 
trees. Yeah, but Pastor Eddie, it says later on that you can see clearly. The word clearly there does not mean his perception was hazed physically. It has to do more with his mental perception. He saw men like trees. And when Jesus touched this guy, it wasn't because he goes, oh, I'm not done yet. I mean, you better touch him again. I better do it again. No. He said, this guy's healed. He's seeing men like trees. That's a problem. He's seeing things backwards. He's seeing things messed up. He's not seeing right. He's got a problem. The problem is not just his physical eyes. The problem, more importantly, is his mental vision. And if I don't heal his mental vision, he's never going to be able to do what I want him to do. And for most of us, that's the problem. For the majority of us with our backgrounds and where we come from, the problem is not so much faith. You struggle in faith because of your perception. And you hear faith preach and you feel all bad and you get on a bummer and you're like, I got to have more faith. And you want to step out in faith. I've been there. I've done that. I've stepped out and saw it not come to pass because why? The reality was I didn't believe it. I didn't see it. I even fasted one day. I'm just going to be so transparent today. I went on a seven-day no-food fast. I was going through it. This was years ago. And I went away. And I came down that mountain after seven days of no eating, nothing. More upset, more angry than I was when I went up there. You say, how can that be? Because... What I, my issue in life was, is I had to learn how to expect from God, but watch, but not put an expectation on God. And that's what my pastors had to teach me. Because I would say, well, you're going to do it like this, and, you're gonna, and I expect you to do that, and I expect this and that, and you know, claim it, and God would be like, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. And more often than not, I'm going to do it the way you don't want me to do it. I'm going to do it in a way you didn't see it coming. As a matter of fact, it might seem like darkness, but it's a new day happening in your life. If you want to trust me, you've got to trust me. If you're going to really believe me, then believe me. Stop putting expectations on me and just expect I'm going to do something for you. And so I struggled years in my Christianity because... I would put these expectations on God. I would put these, basically, I'm telling God when to do it, you know, what time to do it, how to do it, you know, and all this. And more often than not, it didn't happen that way. Instead of just knowing that he's going to do it. The hows, the winds, I have no control over. I have no control over how he wants to do it. This man's had two issues which I believe everyone comes into church with two issues. And we're calling things and seeing things that are really not the way it is. And you're in a tough time. See, some of us, that first touch saved us. And you look in, the, you look in history and you look at the children of Israel, there was always two types of captivity they dealt with. There was two types of bondages. There was the Egyptian bondage, which was slavery, which was very hard, which is a type of the world's bondage before coming out of Christ. And then once they were out of Egypt, they went to the promised land, but there was a second type of bondage they dealt with, which was called the Babylonian bondage. And the Babylonian bondage was different than the Egyptian bondage because the Egyptian bondage, they were just slaves to the world. But Babylon was different. 
Babylon, they could buy houses. They could start businesses. They could have kids. They could marry. They could have some sort of success. But one thing that Xerius and Belshazzar and, and, and King Xerxes took from them was their identity. He says, you can build, you can have kids, you can do this, you can even prosper my land, but I'm going to give you a different name. Because I don't want you to figure out who you really are in Christ. And there's folks in the church today, you're in here, you're working, you're married, you're not in Egypt no more, none of that oppression. But the devil has taken your identity. And you don't see things clearly. And you're calling it blessed. But I said there's got to be some Daniels to rise up. There's got to be some, 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 you know, some uh, uh, Zacharias to rise up who say, listen, the state of this house is not good enough. No, we're called to do something great. We're called to be something great. It is the lineage of this church. It is the lineage of God. God, if it's me that's the problem, then change my perception. And often he'll do it by turning the heat up. But watch, at 211 degrees, water will just stay hot. One degree over, 212 degrees, water will bubble and turn into mist. See, it's often that one degree of heat that we're willing to allow God to bring into our life that brings change or no change. One degree changes everything. One degree changes the structure. One degree changes everything in a person's life. Even mountains we deal with. I've learned mountains that either two things will happen. Either God's going to remove the mountain or God's going to change my perspective about the mountain. There's some mountains I'm still doing that he hasn't removed yet. Oh, I speak to them. I claim the word. I pray the word. I speak, but it's still there. There's a reason why God's allowing it to be there. Why? Because I've learned when he's not moving the mountain, it's because he wants to move me first. And a lot of times we're praying, God, move the mountain. God, do this to the mountain. He's like, I can't move the mountain if you don't believe I could really move the mountain. I can't move the mountain if you don't know who you are. It's a new season in this church. I feel it. I'm so happy to see what's happening but every new season has two things, a death certificate and a birth certificate. No season can have one without the other. Every new season, something's going to die and something's going to be born. The children of Israel couldn't get out of Egypt until the firstborn of Egypt died. Watch. And they went to the next place, the wilderness. They couldn't get from the wilderness to the promised land until Moses died. God will never move you on to a new season or a new place until something dies. I wrote in my life, most of the time, it's me. Most of the time, it's my attitude. Most of the time, it's my perception of who he is. Most of the time, it's, it's this. And so that's why if that, from that perspective, it doesn't really matter what your problem is today. It's how you perceive the problem. 
with what sight you're looking at. This church changed my perspective. Your, our pastor was a man who would come and say, we're going to Oregon. Great to do the drama. Great. When? Two weeks. Two weeks? How are we going to get there? I don't know. That's your job. And keep walking. <laughs> and and I think I was traumatized a little bit because in my church, we don't do nothing without a month in advance. But I had to learn the flow. I had to learn. Okay, Pastor, you said. Okay, we're going. Make it happen. Faith. And every single time, God would come through. And then you know what's funny? I also learned Sometimes we would work really hard to play, and I'd be on Stevon and Tim and all these guys on their cues, and I'd be in the back and directing and running it and yelling at everybody and, you know, coming real close to cussing, but I didn't cuss. I'll just be honest, but, like, wanting to, but no, I can't do that. <laughs> and everything would be perfect, the cues, the music with my brother-in-law, and it would be the littlest altar call we had. I would be mad. God, what, what are you doing? Everything was perfect. These guys, their cues, the music, everything was, was you know, showcase. Then we'd do it. They would ad-lib, forget lines, miss cues. Daryl would push people off the stage backwards. Guns not going off. But all that did was made us seek him more. And I kid you not, every single time the altars were packed. Why? Again, it was me. Again, God was saying, I don't need you. And how you're looking at this? You're making this about you instead of me. And then usually the times when it was the worst, when we get the most praise. And it would be on cue. Nobody would say nothing. They'd just go home. Why? Again, because my perspective was messed up. And I had a lot of work that I let God do. That's why Romans 12, 1 says this. I'm going to get ready to close with this. I don't want to keep you too long. It says this. It says, do not conform to the patterns of this world any longer, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, his good, acceptable, and pleasing will. I remember I read that scripture years ago, and I went on a journey and a mission to say, okay, what does that mean? And maybe uh, the keyboard player can come, just a keyboard player for now. And I said, what does that mean? What is God talking about? What, what does good, acceptable, and perfect mean? And I, and I kept reading it over, and I love to read things in the King James. Like in, in Psalms, we were doing a whole series on Psalms, and I just saw in Psalms 42. And in verse 5, it says, it says I will praise him for the sake of his countenance. And then in verse 11, it says, I will praise him for the sake of my countenance. What does that mean? It means praise makes God smile and praise makes you smile. That sometimes you praise God to get him to smile, but there are sometimes you praise God so you can smile. And I put on this mission, what is he talking about? What is he saying? What is this good, acceptable, and perfect will of God? And I was praying, saying, God, what are you talking about? The Lord showed me those are progressions. 
Those are really spiritual progressions Paul's talking about right there. See, the first one is good. The Bible says, taste and see that what, Lord, is what? Good. When you come to Jesus, it's all good. It's so good. Man, when I fell in love with God, it was the best thing I ever did. Then after a while, God started saying, son, it's time to take this away. It's time to start dealing with that and start dealing with this. And, and, and good wasn't always so good. I was telling the guys on the way here how I went full-time ministry. And it, it never fails. The job offer of my life came when Pastor Steve asked me to come work in the office for 50 bucks a week. A job that in two years I would have been making six figures. And I talked to Pastor where I said, this guy offered me this job. He's going to send me to school. And he's like, wow, I want you to come in the office. He used to say, all the air you can breathe, all the water you can drink. I said, what, are you gonna, what kind of benefits am I going to get? All the air you can breathe, right? Bossy would tell us that. And we, we'd be in the office all broke, all pitching in to kind of get something to eat, right? I've been pitching in for a, you know, back then it wasn't Little Caesar, it was Domino's, amen, just to get through the day. I don't, I don't regret it at all. I don't regret it. Even that video today said, reminded me, I, I was chosen. I think about it. Why did none of my else, my friends, get saved in high school? God chose me for a reason. I could have denied it. I could have walked away and still could walk away if I want to. But I know God chose me. But then after a while, you're serving God. And let's be real. It's not always that good. It's tough. It's hard. It's difficult. There's times. And usually, it's those times where you don't want it. You, you, you're fighting it. Watch this. Where God says, are you willing to accept it? Starts off good. He told Peter, Peter, don't worry about John. You, you're going to die just like me. And Peter's like, what about John? What about John? He says, don't worry about him. I'm going to deal with him if I want. How I want to deal with him is my way. You, you're going to die like me. And we all come to that point in life where God says, are you willing to accept what I have for you? You know the price. You've been doing this a while. You know it's not easy. Are you willing to accept it? Watch. But I've seen too many Christians only get to the good part of God's will and never to the ending part, which is the perfect or the mature will of God because they're not willing to accept what they're dealing with right now. You can never get to the perfect until you accept whatever it is God has for you. Right now, I'm carrying a huge cross. I mean, I told Stanley the other day, man, the minute I mentioned the Philippines and said, let's do this, all hell broke loose in my church. All hell. The minute I said, let's bring the family together, all hell broke loose. It's like, are you kidding? And, and in my flesh, it won't say, Forget the Philippines. Bossy Christian will be all right. Praise the Lord. Let's keep, keep getting Sacramento. You know what? Forget the family. I don't even see them no more. I don't even like them people anyway. Shoot. So forget the family in my flesh. But the DNA of our father, Pastor Stephen Ennis says, no, we're not the kind of king. We're not the kind of king. It doesn't matter what the devil It doesn't matter what the devil goes away. If
mind. We're going to keep us in people with perspective I remember seeing pastor and I don't know all of them but I remember seeing some hard times and it's funny because my biggest battle my biggest battle in my city is a building Josie is a building and everything that I said I'm not going to do and tried not to do I'm having to carry that same answer church is growing just thriving we're sending out churches sending out missionaries but my biggest battle is a building and now watch this I can be upset I can be angry I can be mad or I could say I'm right in line with my spiritual papa that's who we are if that's the cup I have to drink if it's the cup he had to drink so be it it's not going to stop us we're still going to do what God's called us to do. Amen? We're going to have revival with the building or without a building. We're going to win souls with the building or without a building. I don't know how many places we've done the trauma at here in the East Bay. So many different places. Yet the church kept growing. See, I learned to defy that statistic because I saw this church defy that statistic. What statistic am I talking about? The one that says unless you have a church building, your church will never grow past 100 people. It's in all the church growth books. Unless you have a consistent location, your church will never grow past a certain amount. Pastor Steve ripped that page out and flushed that down the toilet years ago. And that's what we're doing. And you're here, temp, you know, temporarily. We don't know how long. Who knows? If any church knows what it's like to be a church on the road, it's this church. This church. And it never stopped us. Why do you think the man who would say, it's all about perception? Now as a pastor, I tell Joseph all the time, so many things he said now make so much sense to me. And one of them, I know what he was saying. And if I can be a little honest, he wasn't just talking to you. He was talking to himself too. Don't let this get you down. Amen? Lift your hands to heaven. Hallelujah. I don't know what you're dealing with, but some of you are in need of a second touch. God's pulled you out. God's healed you. God's delivered you. And you're praying God do something new. And he started a new season in your life. But like today, today started off in darkness. And you're like, what in the world are you doing, God? He's doing something new in this church. I don't know what you're facing right now, but as we're going to sing this song. Come quickly. Come on, let's sing this song. And come to the altar.